Welcome to the seventh episode of our special mini-series with Vanessa Group. Jim Huerta, how's it going? It's going well. I, I think we're making great progress, great conversation. I hope the audience will enjoy some of the points that we're making. I hope so, too. Barry Colovson, how you feeling? Feeling better every time we get involved in this area. Good. Thank you. And oh, actually... You've got more. <laughs> where I think that we've got a nice length of time to build relationships. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Will Jakes, yeah. Pan Connoisseur... How's it going? Another great day. Great to be here. Wonderful. Justin Tripodi, brand king. I was gonna. I was wondering if I was going to get a title this time. <laughs> What's up, Anthony? How you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Scott Mountner, corporate attorney. I'm doing well, thank you. And I am with Harrington, Akko, and Monk before you ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I am managing partner of Verna Law. Uh, so let's talk about a little. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the plush toy industry. Uh, Will and I have uh, lots of plush toy experience. Will, you have written um, one patent, or is it multiple patents for uh, multiple patents. the plush toy you're currently holding? Nobody can see that you're holding it. So props don't <laughs> props don't do very well on audio, but but you are holding. The product. Well, the audience can hear him. Hi. <laughs> so, so, in, yeah, so, so let's talk about the 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 patent because it's been published, so it's, so so it is public. So let's talk a little bit about the patent application that was made for this particular product. Very, what makes it so unique? Uh, very interesting, uh, and actually only one of the, the, the okay. patents. Okay, so let's uh, only talk about the one uh, that's has, public. Has been uh, published. But uh, uh, the plush toy industry, you know, has seen some innovation, obviously, over the last uh, 80 years. Uh, but there's been very little that's been done uh, uh, recently. I think uh, we would look to Jennifer Toffler's Pillow Pets as an example of an innovation in the plush toy space. Uh, this particular toy actually tells a, a, a story, you know, around, a, 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 let's say, a fairy tale figure that kids are familiar with. But it provides that story uh, by putting some elements or features, as we patent folks like to call it, into the plush toy. Okay. So... Uh so, so yeah, just just tell us a little bit about what the patent discloses. Okay, so essentially, what the patent discloses is that uh, this little bear uh, uh, allows you to take an object. Let's say it's a tooth, for instance. Okay, you're, you're able to put this thing into the mouth of this little bear, and it drops down into a little chamber. Let's call it a heart section, you know, and and then uh, uh, the child is able to kind of as we would like to say, it's a teaching toy, share and care. So they're sharing and carrying their fallen tooth into this little toy. And and uh, uh, there are some people who might have a problem wrapping their head around it, but a lot of people do have their, their baby teeth saved. And so this is a container that can do that as well as be a toy. As well as be a toy, as well as allow the parents or the, even the, the, the child or the user to be able to access and take that tooth or that object uh, out of the toy later on, which is something that uh, generally is not seen in a plush toy. Um, I mean, it's a plush toy. It's a patent. I have to admit that combination is rare. Uh, you know, to me, that sounds like a, a unique selling proposition. 
Yes, it is. Uh, inventors, I, I, I really like this uh, particular product because the inventor was a home inventor. Uh, and, it, and she was spurred on uh, to creating this toy actually based on a rather negative experience with her own child who was actually afraid uh, of, of, you know, dealing with this fairy tale figure, you know, in the middle of the night. And so she sure. came up with a way to kind of get rid of that fear, but also bring some fun to the child. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, our experiences because we uh, went around Toy Fair because last year was my 10th Toy Fair. And, and so this year is going to be my 11th Toy Fair. Apart from representing uh, our firm, uh, you went around and you spoke to a lot of people <laughs> about the first prototype, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, not usual, but that's part of uh, what uh, working with this group does. You know, you, you start to take on a more interdisciplinary point, you know, of view uh, uh, with the products and the companies that come to you. So you're not looking at it strictly as I'm going to write a patent. Uh, what we want to do is to help realize value in the marketplace. And of course, the value is the thing we believe will sustain that over some period of time. Jim, let me let me ask you, what do you think of this approach of market research? I, I mean, on one hand, I, I, I see where it's smart. On the other hand, I feel as if Will went around asking a whole bunch of competitors, what do you think of this product that might be competing with you? Yeah, see, I don't see, I don't see nothing wrong with that as long as there's some kind of level of protection. Like if there is a patent and, and you have control of a patent, you have a head start there. So I don't see that to be a problem at all. Actually, I, I think that I would probably do the same thing. But I have one thing to say. Will, put the bed down and walk away from the bed. <laughs> Shut up, Uncle Jim. <laughs> this podcast took a weird turn. Yes, it did, didn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I know that that uh, there, there's the protection there. Uh, Will, what was some of the feedback that? All of the competitors that you talked to told you. I mean, obviously, they don't they don't see this as a as a competing product because they spoke to you. They gave you they gave you opinions at a convention. Um, but what was some of the feedback from from that first uh, first attempt at a product? Uh, a lot of the feedback. So we start with a concept. So we're trying to patent or protect features around a concept first. Uh, uh, the next thing we want to do is to kind of see our next generation, you know, uh, of the toy. And so we have made some filings in that particular area as well. And that came from that sort of direct market research that we were doing. So we would show features, get feedback, and then come back and think about that and innovate even further uh, to allow ourselves to even file new patents to protect features that we kind of uh, saw based on our interview that would be coming uh, uh, down the line. So essentially trying to even increase the value uh, of the toy going forward. Justin, go ahead. I know you have a thought. One of the things I loved about what you did was you went to the subject domain experts, people who live in the industry, understand the industry, the ins and outs, the little nuances that you can't get just by online research. And that's a big thing for any business is if you are running a business and you don't have yourself the subject domain expertise, surround yourself with it. Um, what you found 
uh, during that walkthrough gave you insights to further develop the product, not only from a patent point of view, but from a product point of view, learning about what a consumer, an end user might like. And that's valuable information. I, I think from our experience last year, what struck me most was how many times people said that the first version of the toy looked like something that was old fashioned. And while they understood that aesthetic, that's not what kids of today are going to want. And therefore, it's not what the parents of today are going to buy. So how do you have that conversation then, Will, with the client on making the proper changes? Again, part of that interdisciplinary type of thought that the Nessa group would bring. And so, uh, you know, the utilitarian features were there. We had that covered as far as the patent was concerned. Uh, the, as, as Justin uh, mentioned, some of the other issues that came, came out was manufacturability. How do we do this thing quickly? How do we do it easily? How do we do it inexpensively? And lastly, as you just questioned, was, well, how do you, let's say, dress it? You know, what's, what's its trade dress? going to look like uh, in the industry that will kind of aid and in, in provide that uptake. The client was absolutely one of the best uh, to work with because she was willing to listen. She knew what she didn't know. She felt confident that she had employed people who were going to take her interests uh, to heart. Uh, and so it was easier then to kind of make the changes to bring this toy to where it is today. Justin, how, how do you recommend that people who might have an idea in a certain area like this but not have the expertise try to try to get some of that expertise, try to talk to some competitors? Um, depending on the level of protection and what can be disclosed, which needs to be seriously considered, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can gain that insights. Um, you know, most people are on LinkedIn. If you're not, I heavily suggest you, you, you look into getting on. Um, research people within the industry. Research retired executives who worked at a Hasbro or a notable toy company. Uh, research market researchers within the industry and reach out to them and contact them. They're an impartial party who probably has that subject domain expertise, maybe not the relationships and the contacts, but can give you that information. Um, and whatever you find within that, I think you have to complement and supplement with consumer research and consumer feedback as well, but that's a little later on. Um, but in terms of reaching those, those industry experts, you need to begin immersing yourself into that industry if you're going to be running a business. Um, so start reaching out, start making contacts, even within businesses and startups I've been a part of. We've sat down and spoke with our direct competitors in some cases. Um, you know, that's not always the right thing to do depending on your industry and what you're looking to achieve. But sometimes it is the best path for, best path forward. Jim, what what opinions uh, do you have on gaining that expertise? Because you've been in in a lot of different types of businesses, but you know so, sometimes there has to be something that you don't understand the technology uh, mm -hmm. for. Uh, actually, I, I I approach things that I don't know a lot of things that I should know. And that's the reason I ask the questions. And that's the reason I think I build up on what my resources of information and what kind of research I'm doing. Um, so there's a good chance that any time you'll see me working in something like this, that I'm probably talking to people who could be users, could be inventors. I'm constantly looking for those answers for people who I consider much smarter than that I am in their particular disciplines. 
can I comp- uh, can I follow up that? Of course. I don't think the challenge all the time is finding the answers. I think the challenge is asking the right questions and knowing that, what to ask in, in the right order and at the right time. Um, because, well, you could have very easily went out of order. You could have yeah. went with the first prototype if you didn't have this walkthrough and potentially waste a lot of money in that first round of inventory. Absolutely. Um, that that first walkthrough at the, the first uh, uh, toy fair mm-hmm. actually taught us that what we were trying to manufacture, you know, forget about the, the outward facing, you know, features mm-hmm. of the toy. We were headed down the wrong road. And so we immediately, mm-hmm. you know, went back in. And actually, it did not work with the first manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, company uh, that we had. Not that uh, they might not have gotten there, but in terms of speed to market, uh, mm-hmm. we decided to go with a different manufacturer. What were some of the, the the qualities from one manufacturer to another that you and the client were looking at? I'm an engineer, right? <laughs> yes, I know you're an yeah, engineer. Because yeah. last it, time, our first time together at Toy Fair, Will, you would go, "Hey, is this toys apart. right? Hey, is this plastic number four? Is this plastic number five? And and like you pulled the materials out perfectly. Our first time together at Toy Fair, uh, and a rocket scientist. So. <laughs> but but sometimes you know uh, that sort of engineering, technical, critical thought can get in the way, and and so what. What we found was that it wasn't so much about what the materials were, you know, how we were going to make it, what type of fancy 3D, you know, machinery we were going to use, which is where the first manufacturer, uh, that's the line that he was headed down. So it sounded really good. It sounded like the right way to approach uh, doing this toy. And then uh, with the inventor, we took a step back and realized that what she had done was actually went to a, uh, a goods store, uh, she went to a novelty shop. She grabbed a hold of all of her little items, and she actually made the first prototype at her kitchen table. Wow. And so what we did was in the discussions with the other manufacturer who realized that those things were not uh, taken lightly, they decided, well, how do we duplicate that without all the fancy, uh, fancy expensive machinery, which wasn't needed in this particular case. Sure. That's how the direction, uh, the new direction in manufacturing was uh, sealed. And, and is that the manufacturer going forward once the product is absolutely positively ready for sale and manufacture? Or are you going with the same factory then? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up uh, in, in the Navy as an engineer. And so I ran projects. And one of the first things I realized is that I tell my inventor, this is what we have today, but we will always uh, attempt to find a second source. And so at some point after we've gotten to a launch, uh, then we'll start to look around. You know, we'll start to kind of understand what our costs are and then look, look to other manufacturers to come on board potentially. Barry, and, and to tie this into our, our, uh, uh, fifth episode in the in this mini series we um you know we're talking about manufacturing issues for that company as well what are some of what, what what's some of the advice that you would have for a company making plush toys and dealing with a factory well i think it starts uh, imagining what you want just sit down and try and come up with something that you can't started with this and you've you've modernized it. I think the other thing is where you manufacture it is very, very important. 
Oh, sure. That they're very confident, they're timely, and they make a good product. And I, I think really you have to go down almost like any company and ask them questions. I, 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 I'm very much reminded of, of an episode of my own podcast uh, where I had a conversation with a friend and colleague named John Eastwood. John is a partner at a law firm, Iger Law in Taipei. And if you are working with, uh, you know, speaking, Barry, of, of who to work with, if you are working with Chinese factories, having a law firm that's in Taipei and Shanghai, uh, you know, is very important. But more important than that, John Eastwood always, in, in, in all of his writings and in that, that conversation with me, emphasized the relationship between the business owner and the factory. That, that in China, infringements happen because there's a breakdown between the factory owner and, and the business owner. Like, you need to have that relationship. And, you know... You know, Barry, what you just said reminded me of that because you need to have that relationship no matter who your factory is, no matter what factory is. And you want to see making it. that as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So how's the relationship then with, with the factories that you're looking at, Will? Uh, well, great relationship to start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. Now, okay. I have no reason to believe that that will deteriorate over okay. time. Okay. But was... we leave open the possibility. Hence, why you would always want to at least uh, look to other sources uh, over time. I mean, I have one question with the manufacturing. What is it that's of consideration when it comes to tooling for something like this? What is it the pieces that you have to look at? Well, again, that's a great question, Jim, because uh, even though it's a plush toy, we have hardware uh, uh, residing yes. uh, within this plush toy. So uh, once we get past kind of early short runs, uh, production runs, then we'll look to moldings, you know, uh, being uh, bought. We'll, we will be looking at more sophisticated handling, you know, uh, machinery in order to make sure that these hard pieces get placed in the right spot on a very soft uh, piece uh, so that that line kind of runs a, a, well, little, yeah, a seemingly, little smoother. Seemingly there's a, a certain level of intricacy in what you have there. I mean, it looks very simplistic, but you have something going through channels, dumping and out, of access to it for the back. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there, which I would... There's a fair amount of things going on, and if you can imagine uh, trying to put a hard good onto a cloud... Sure. <laughs> Justin, I know that you had a thought about this. I was just curious, and, and you guys might not have considered this yet, but what sales channels do you foresee this being sold on? Are you a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand? Are you looking to go wholesale and get into brick-and-mortar facilities? That's, an, uh, that's a great question, Justin, and it's one that you'll be hit with a little bit later. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it's always been uh, uh, the mantra of people I work with and certainly my mantra that, uh, as we said in a, in a previous episode, if you want to attract the attention of large distributors, if you want to attract the attention of uh, other would-be licensees, then I always suggest you start out by generating a, a track record yourself. Uh, well, I'll add with that and saying the limited that I've learned from, from this uh product and the company and the founder, there's a story to be told. 
there's a narrative around why this was created and the benefits of doing so. And online content and online sales will probably be, as you just said, your best mechanism to get started. Yeah, there's a website that's already in production. It, it, it's not uh, uh, open uh, mm -hmm. for the public uh, to see at this particular point, only because we are waiting for the first set of orders uh, to come in from our manufacturers. So we want to kind of mm -hmm. time it properly, not get too much ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the advantages, of course, of this toy is that since we're talking about uh, uh, children and losing uh, teeth, that it's evergreen. And children are born every month and they lose teeth every month. And so it's not tied to a particular holiday. It's not tied to a particular time of year. It is, uh, you know, a, a kind of evergreen product that's being sold uh, year round. So we have the uh, freedom and the option to kind of introduce uh, the toy to the market. Yeah. You know, uh, from a marketing perspective, mm -hmm. the analytics that Facebook and Instagram provide you is a gold mine mm -hmm. in terms of people reporting when they're pregnant, having kids, the, the, their kids' birthdays. You know mm -hmm. how the, how old they are. You mm -hmm. know that a kid around X number of age old is going to start losing teeth, and you can really refine your marketing and be super targeted to reach them. The Nessa Group will be working with this client. <laughs> in the I think we will be. Scott, let me. Hey, let you know what? You, you have a one to twelve <laughs> model. You mean from from one year to to twelve years old? Well, one to twelve years old, I think, yeah. would be a reasonable thing. But I think, hey, oh. here's my my first year tooth, which they'll look back on and say, no, I want a five-year tooth. You know, put my tooth in at his fifth year when they're getting changed and their mouth mm -hmm. is getting formed. You know, as I, and it, you're right. As I look at the bear that you refuse to let go, <laughs> He's my different things come to my mind of what are the other uses or other ideas that you can come up with with the same mechanism? Yes. And I, I think there is a slew of that that can go on. And it doesn't have to necessarily be for kids. I'm thinking Valentine's Day. What is it that you can cleverly do with Valentine's with a heart and all that kind of stuff that you're thinking about? How would that work? And what can you put into it? Very There's good a question. whole bunch yes. of... Yes. There are, there are other uses, which actually yes. goes back to our previous episode and talking about you know, if you want to be a licensor, what are some of those thoughts mm -hmm. that you have in mm -hmm. there as well? Scott, let me let me ask you this. If if a company like this came to you and said they, they're looking for VC because they need to fund the purchase orders that are coming in, um, they've got this great idea. Obviously, there's a little market traction because of that. Uh, what are some of the questions that you're asking them in order to help them set up properly in order to, to, to keep growing? The real question has become uses of capital. So I would want them, because obviously when you raise more money, there's a dilution effect to the current owners. So you really want to think about what is the amount of capital you need to get to the next stage and, and what are those uses going to be. At this point, I think it's what Justin was saying is going to be a lot of marketing and sort of sales channels to look at that. You're going to have to build out probably your sales team and look at your different um, sort of online apps and things like that where people can sell product. And, and that would be where you'd want to most efficiently work with. And, and frankly, you know, until you have some decent traction in the market, you're going to get diluted a little bit more, but you're going to certainly be able to raise money and, and be able to, you know, push this to to market pretty easily, I would think. Go ahead, Justin. You raise a very good point. I think we touched upon this in the last two episodes, which is 
the need for business planning to understand what defines success. Um, you know, any business, young or old, has limited has resources that have a termination date that are not properly used. As a startup, will who you're working with, they have limited resources. With those resources, with the inventory you're buying and the marketing dollars you could put be put behind it, you need to get somewhere. Where is that somewhere? What defines success? Is it going for another round of funding or your first round of funding? Is it being able to be self-sufficient and produce revenue organically? Um, but any business starting off does need to take an interdisciplinary look at what their business model is, what their plan is, and what defines success. What are their KPIs? And in episode five, we talked about a business that didn't seem to have that in place. They were kind of spinning their wheels. They, don't, they didn't understand how to leverage their resources to define success, how to lower their overhead and increase their revenue. So the business planning process is continuous from a, your first day of conceptualization to the day you decide to sell or close the doors. You're constantly thinking ahead to the next um, evolution of your business and what that is defined by. Thank you very much, Justin. And on that note, we will wrap up this discussion, which seems like a success to me. Jim. Uh, I will tell you how to reach us and how to find us. <laughs> yes. That would be www.thenestagroup.com, and hopefully we'll have a lot of you folks getting in touch with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, and thanks, everybody. We'll see you for our final episode of the mini-series soon. Bye now. <laughs> Michelle, did you get a picture of Will? <laughs> I hope you got a couple, Michelle, okay? Especially when he does the ventriloquism thing, okay? Do you sleep with her? With her?